0: So, uh, as my husband Bob has told you about his experience going through two bouts of depression, I hope to give you my side of it. It was an equally dark valley for me as well to see this man. He had always been a tower of strength in such a condition. He had been my pastor and spiritual leader for 35 years. And you've gotten a taste of his heart. He just loves the Lord. He's a humble servant. He knows how to teach the word so that you want to do what God says we should do. And I was just so blessed to be his wife and to be fed week by week through him. I always thought, what if you married a man and you couldn't stand to listen to his preaching? You couldn't change churches. (laughs) But... Fortunately, I never wanted to change churches. (laughs) I had the best shepherd that uh, anyone could have. And he was so devoted um, to the Lord and to the ministry. Uh, If I had it to do all over again, I'd live it all again, even though it's very difficult at times. But it was very fulfilling, 35 years. And then he... um, took up a new challenge to be a um, professor, Christian University, teaching biblical counseling because he had been so committed to that and he had seen how biblical counseling changes even your preaching because you want to make it practical. You know the problems that the people are going through in the pew. And so his, his whole ministry was impacted by him learning biblical counseling after he got out of seminary. Sad, but our seminary didn't teach biblical counseling. It was integrated with a lot of psychology. And so, uh, and in fact, that's where we met at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, our seminary for the Evangelical Free, which you are, along with us. Bob pastored in the EV Free for 35 years. So um, he learned it after seminary under J. Adams, and uh, his uh, teaching at Westminster Seminary where he got his doctorate. But um, just prior to going into the Depression, he had switched careers. So he had to learn a whole new career of teaching um, biblical counseling. They put him in charge of the program. So for a while he was teaching classes and running the whole biblical counseling program at the university. And then sometimes um, preaching on the weekends, he became an elder at our church. He was teaching, then when he went to teaching, he was teaching more than the required amount to be a full-time professor. He, was, he always wants to do above and beyond. And so um, he finished the semester. We uh, went to Russia. Um, My book was translated into Russian, so we were traveling around Russia. He was carting my heavy books around, no vacation, and gets back into um, teaching the fall semester, and his back went out, and he was having terrible back pain. He couldn't um, teach standing anymore. He had to sit, and it got so bad he could hardly walk. And so then the doctor said, we need to give surgery to help this herniated disc. He had the surgery, and the pain never went away. And so they said, well, you just have to lay flat and uh, uh, rest the nerves there. And so he did that very conscientiously for two months, but I think that was the wrong advice because... He lost all muscle mass, and the pain never went away. And so when they did another MRI, they found it had re-herniated in the same place. And so they wanted to do another surgery, but we opted for physical therapy. And so uh, during that period of time when he was lying still for the two months he went into clinical depression. And he told you about discovering that the day after my birthday, that, yes, this is depression. So um, not only did he have depression, he had tremendous anxiety, sleeplessness, and just those long, long nights with no sleep. It was um, just... Totally, total bodily weakness, um, extreme suffering physically, mentally, and spiritually. And as you know, if you've been close to people in this, it affects all of life. Almost everything that had characterized our life before ended. We couldn't minister to others, we couldn't enjoy the activities that we used to enjoy. We didn't watch any TV at all. No news, especially because it's always depressing. We didn't socialize or have people over. Hospitality, which had been a major part of our lives, was impossible. We didn't travel anywhere. Even going to church was hard. Sometimes we couldn't even make it to church because the anxiety was too bad. He felt like uh, he could... Almost jump out of his skin. He was so anxious. His head felt fuzzy and weird. <clears throat> and the atmosphere in the home was somber. Not joyful and full of happy times as usual. He's always up. And it's strange because a lot of people think if you have depression you're a melancholic person. Not Bob. He was known as the whistling pastor in our neighborhood. Um, <laughs> Daniel can attest to that in um, Teaneck. He, he would whistle all the way to the church and I could hear him whistling as he came home. Um, so, but this wasn't a case of the blues or just ordinary discouragement. His body had broken down over a period of years of ministerial stress, not just prior to the breakdown. And this affected how he was able to think and feel. I love this man and I admire him greatly and as you can imagine, this was excruciating for me to see him suffering so. It was an extremely, extremely dark valley and I would have to even say it was a living hell on earth. There are no words to adequately communicate how dark a place it is. The suffering was necessary um, to put him on medication for a period of six months for some relief and his own safety, and this is what helped to bring him out of it. Please understand that this was a last resort, and after much prayer and counsel, and convincing that it was needed to restore his body. He was also receiving biblical counseling from a counselor in our church whom he had trained (laughs) to uh, encourage him spiritually and for accountability. So the counselor needed counseling. People from our church, the college, and our family rallied around us through notes of encouragement, reminding us of God's faithfulness and of their love and prayers and through visits and meals. Bob has always read to us in our marriage but now he read book after book to me centered on the gospel as one famous writer said it was the best of times and the worst of times it was the best of times for me because it was like a spiritual oasis in one way and a desert in another as these books were nourishing me spiritually but I was seeing my beloved suffer the worst malady of our lives together. He was fighting the darkness with everything in him in the word daily. And these are things that help in any situation of depression. In the word daily, meditating on scripture and on the good news of the gospel, listening to Christian music, praying more than ever, and then doing just little things that he could do. His counselor was holding him accountable to write some notes of encouragement to others every day. And then he graded some of the ACBC thing, um, papers. And um, you have to not neglect everything. Do what you can and while at the same time pleading with God for his mercy and grace to continue, continue on my admiration of him grew. He was fighting it with all he had. I was seeking to encourage Bob with the promises of God, as he said. Um, And um, he was in such a dark place that he didn't even think he was saved. This man who had taught the word and uh, brought dozens and hundreds of people to Christ didn't feel saved. That's how dark a place it is. There's no darker place. I would rather anything other physical disease than this. Um, To not feel your own salvation is a dark, dark place. He even thought of taking his life. God's grace was there for us one moment at a time. One tick of the clock to the next, which is so loud for the sufferer, even the tick of the clock. I would have gone under with Bob had it not been for his sustaining grace. What eventually happened? Bob's body responded to the medication and the spiritual disciplines and the physical therapy, and in an answer to hundreds of people's prayers. And in God's mercy, ten months later, he was able to go back to teaching. All praise to the Lord. His depression lifted completely. His joy in the Lord was returning. Many hearts were strengthened as Bob was able to share God's faithfulness through it. And we could see how good was coming from our pain. At many people's request, he wrote the book, If I'm a Christian, Why Am I Depressed? Fast forward now six years later at the end of the fall semester of 2014 Bob turned in his grades, we left for South Africa which is a rigorous trip, 22 hours in the air to visit our missionary kids, five grandkids over Christmas break much festivities, just plain fun, excitement he preached over there several times we went nonstop with no real rest over the break, hopped on a plane for 22 hours of return flight just in time to start a new semester, teaching a full load, preaching on Sunday's following with plans for two international speaking trips in the offing. Then on February 11th, 2015, I fell and broke my leg. I missed my step in the garage and fell on the cement floor shattering my femur. Nothing exciting like on a ski slope. <laughs> I lay there for half an hour in excruciating pain, and I couldn't move. Finally, our cleaning lady providentially heard me um, crying out for help. I was locked in the garage, and the garage is separate from the house. And as they were leaving, putting the lock, door in the lock, she heard my cries, Um, and Bob wasn't due home for five more hours so that was God's providential saving me but he was in the middle of a class and he saw he had a call from our cleaning lady providentially he took it and came immediately to find seven paramedics uh, uh, trying to put me onto the stretcher I was crying out in agony and uh, that's right when he arrived he went into shock and immediately into severe depression again with all the same symptoms lack of sleep, couldn't sleep brain goes, goes, goes all those years of um, depression he could not sleep in the day You'd think, oh, you could take a nap. Nope, your brain never turns off. I had to have surgery and a steel plate put in my leg, and I could not move this leg one inch after that surgery. So I had to have physical therapy um, to be able to walk again. Bob was there at the hospital 10 hours a day, even with his depression, um, to comfort me. The 23 days I was in the hospital and rehab hospital uh, while himself suffering. Um, Our daughter came over from South Africa to help us and my sister from New Jersey for five weeks. And it took me about three or four months to get totally back on my feet. However, it took Bob two and a half years to come out of the depression completely, which was just a year ago this month. In September, just a year ago, is when he finally was able to find a natural supplement that would help him sleep. And then he started coming up out of it. Um, it's been a long, painful road back. As Dr. Ed Welch has termed it, it's a stubborn darkness. It's been such a long and gradual process and this is his first time speaking uh, at a conference um, since the depression so it's a real praise for us to be here the title to Bob's book if I'm a Christian why am I depressed is the big question isn't it shouldn't Christians always have joy in the Lord and have a smile on their face there are Christians who think that depression is only as a result of unconfessed sin While in some cases this could be a major factor, it doesn't take into consideration the physical aspects of it as well, that the brain is an organ of the body that can become dysfunctional, as well as the endocrine system, when a lifestyle of excessive stress is continually experienced over a long period of time and the body breaks. Many who experience depression are afraid to share it, what they're going through for fear of being judged. The fact is that being a believer doesn't exclude godly men and women from being depressed. And Bob has already told you about Elijah. And then more recently, 500 years ago, Martin Luther. So it's not something just uh, to our uh, day and time. Uh, and Spurgeon uh, suffered um, and we know these men were godly, godly men. Depression has always been a problem, but it does seem like it's becoming more prevalent in our fast paced lives with the physical and spiritual stresses of this generation. I want to encourage you to guard your pastors, as 20% of all pastors who leave the ministry do so because of burnout. It's exhausting. Those in vocational ministry and those who work full-time and add in vocational or um, intensive ministry, even counseling, which is quite intensive, need to guard against the dangers of burnout. We need rest for our bodies and souls, and I can't stress this enough. But at the same time, God allows it to reveal the hidden things of our heart that we can't learn in any other way which I will say more about later. We see now that Bob's schedule left no margins for rest and his body was stretched to the limit and then when something traumatic happened, he wasn't prepared to handle it physically and his body broke. His adrenals simply wore out from excessive stress, producing adrenal fatigue as we have now learned. Most doctors tell people with this to relax and take an antidepressant. The adrenals regulate the nervous system and are responsible for the fight-or-flight response. They produce cortisol, the most important anti-stress hormone in the body. Adrenal fatigue occurs when the amount of stress exceeds the capacity of the body to compensate and recover. And Bob's adrenals were at the point of exhaustion, Through the right living, healthy living principles and protocols, the adrenal glands can be restored to optimum health, which includes proper rest, exercise, specific nutritional supplements, proper diet, and stress reduction. We found a doctor who has had success treating people with adrenal fatigue syndrome and treated with him for about a year. Uh, He put him on all sorts of um, things to build up his uh, adrenals and other um, parts of his body and um, I made chicken bone broth for him every third day and I mean to tell you we were on a healthy regime but it is slow going. It's not like take this pill and you're going to be well. It took at least a year, for us to see any headway. It's been a very long, slow process. This malady brought big changes to our lives. It was as if our lives again came to a screeching halt as we had known them. I'd been teaching two classes at the college, counseling women and discipling women, been counseling individual gals. I had been leading a group at the Seminary of Wives. I couldn't do any of that anymore. My main job was to help Bob recovery and to recover and to care for him, make those nutritious meals that he needed and just be there. And I didn't want to leave him alone. Uh, he couldn't teach or preach or counsel the hurting anymore. He had to retire. Why this? Hadn't we learned the lessons we needed to learn in the first bout with depression? If I'm a Christian, why am I depressed again? We saw how the first bout was used, so why was this second longer round necessary? Statistics tell us that 80% of people who suffer from depression will go through it multiple t- again or multiple times. So in looking back, where is God in all of this? What lessons did we miss the first time that he has for us this time? There are some things that we can only learn more deeply over time, as God is in no hurry. So let me share with you some of the things God in his grace has been seeking to work into my heart, and I think Bob's as well, and things you can help your counselees learn through their depression as well, or any other trial for that matter. Number one, my life is sustained by Jesus Christ. I need Jesus every hour of every day, every minute of every hour. I cannot live this life without him. The only way I can make it through the constant strain of living with a depressed person is in complete dependence upon him for strength. To know his strength when I am weak. To draw on his grace when I'm at the end of my resources. To experience his resurrection power in the fray of the daily struggle. To enable me to keep my hope in and my eyes fixed on Jesus. So I can run the race with endurance. As we're told to do. Hebrews 12.2 In my own strength I grow tired and discouraged and tempted to give up hope. So I'm learning... My life is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, my strength is in you, Lord. I can do nothing without you, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 He's my rock. And as Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Number two, knowing him should always precede our doing. Secondly, I'm learning that he is as much concerned with my knowing of him as my ministry for him. The knowing should always precede the doing. In order to do this, God allows a trial to come into our lives that he might reveal to us our hearts so that we might see our great need for him. And so he did with me. You see, since Bob and I We're married 46 years ago at this time, that time of when he went into the Depression. We had been doing, doing, doing. And I'm here to tell you that we can become so busy doing ministry that our first love becomes the ministry rather than Jesus himself. Even ministry can become an idol. And sometimes in love, God strips away all that we hold dear so that we might find him to be the dearer, the greater treasure. So God slowed down the doing, that I might have more time for the knowing of my Savior. Oh, I want him to be my heart's desire. I want to pant for him as the deer does for the water brooks. And this trial has proven to be my oasis with Jesus. Besides all the gospel-centered books Bob has read to us, I've been reading through the Bible a chapter at a time. I read two commentaries on it, um, the MacArthur Study Notes and the Gospel Transformation Bible, which I love. And then I journal a page on each chapter. I'm up to Lamentations. I did the New Testament, now I'm Uh, reading through the old. Um, I'm also writing a Bible study on seeing Jesus as the true and better through the Old Testament characters. And that's been a rich study. We've lived in the Psalms. One passage that has sustained us is Psalm 46 that begins with God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and talks about earth-shattering events like mountains falling into the sea. Well, we were in one of those times, so that psalm was for us. We're told in verse 10 to cease striving, be still, and know that He is God. Um, for the second year, we're going through Tim Keller's book, The Songs of Jesus, which goes through the psalms consecutively. Valley um, of Vision has been a, a staple of ours. Um, through these depressions uh, Bob and I have had way more time to read and share together in the word and to pray together New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp a daily devotional I don't know if any of you found that that's really really good we've gone through that twice uh, another good book I could recommend is David Powelson's recent book God's Grace in Your Suffering <coughs> It actually serves as a personal workshop on suffering where he walks us through wonderful scriptures to enlighten and encourage the soul, a hymn, in our experiences helping us to see God's goodness and seek God's grace in and through our suffering. We've come closer together. We've talked about these painful truths and he's given me permission to share with you how he came to realize that underlying his doing mentality was the finding of his identity in ministry, without which he hardly knew who he was when it was stripped away. What better way could God have chosen to reveal these sins in our lives than through this particular trial to stop us in our tracks and by his grace help us center on him? Yes, even ministry can become idolatry of the heart when it takes precedence over the knowing of Christ. Three, we can't earn God's healing. I learned that while these things can help turn a person's heart toward God to learn more of him, they do not guarantee healing, nor can we earn God's healing through our good works. God does not owe us anything. He's already paid the ultimate price for our salvation. Our healing isn't dependent on these things we do or don't do, It's totally up to God as he wills for his good purposes. Even Paul didn't have his thorn in the flesh removed. But got the assurance that God's grace and power is perfected in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 He said, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Fourth, God gets to choose our ministry. Ministry as... God defines it throughout all of life. We sometimes limit ministry in our thinking to one specific way. He defines it as all of life, whether as a teacher, a professor, pastor's wife, as a housewife, a friend, or as a sufferer. He provides the exact place where he wants me to minister that my life might bring him glory there. Ministry goes beyond the walls of the church into his place of choosing. I have to confess that I thought, if only I hadn't fallen and broken my leg, if only Bob hadn't gone into depression, if only he would have gotten through the depression more quickly, if only we were back in ministry, then my life would be fulfilling and productive for God's kingdom. I loved teaching and discipling women. I loved having my husband involved in fruitful ministry. Jerry Bridges says in his classic book, which we have used, it came out 30 years ago, you probably know when I say this. Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God When Life Hurts, which is one of your best resources in counseling people in any kind of trial. He says this, our lives are cluttered with a lot of what ifs or if onlys. If only I had done this or if only that had not happened. But God has no if onlys. God never makes a mistake. God has no regrets. And then he quotes Psalm 1830. As for God, his way is perfect. We can trust God. God showed me caring for and supporting my husband through depression is ministry. It's his exact choice for my life at that point in time. I came to realize that my life isn't my own. I've been bought with a price in order to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6.20. I'm his. He orders my steps and even my misstep. And Paul said i do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify solemnly of the great gospel of the grace of God. Paul was saying that his ministry was appointed for him and that included his suffering. Don't, aren't we encouraged when we read all of he, that he went through uh, and that his suffering was ministry, as well as his preaching and teaching and setting up churches. Oh, that I might finish my course with joy, with the well-done, good and faithful servant as Paul. This is the exact place where God wanted me to serve him. It's an important ministry in God's kingdom, loving my husband, respecting him and serving him, and that brings God glory. And today he continues to use it. Wherever I go now, I barely mention that we went through depression and it gives opportunities to connect with others who are also suffering. And we have a certain fellowship, people saying how our story ministers to them and their suffering. And I wouldn't be here today had it not been for what we went through. Yes, God chooses how and when and where we minister. Proverbs 19.21 says many plans are in a man's heart but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Number five, suffering is a tool of God's grace. This suffering we went through is a tool of God's grace to make me more like Jesus. So I can trust his sovereignty and accept what he brings. And we know That God causes all things to work together for good. Romans 8, 28. We love that verse. And the sovereignty aspect of it. To work together for good. But then the next verse says that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That's his purpose in what we go through. He's seeking to make me look like his son. Through our trials we learn more of the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace. Um... Certainly I could learn to love my husband sacrificially um, through this trial. More joy in a depressive situation. I could have his inner joy. Um, More patience. Perseverance. I have to admit that as the months dragged on, I lagged in patience. Reading Job's story, which I think most of us do when we're going through trials, is a big encouragement And it was to me, the Apostle James referred to Job's endurance and how the Lord is full of compassion and merciful to us. He put up with Job's doubts. And we know the whole book of Job is um, his doubts and questions, which went on and on with no help from his wife or friends. It was just him and the Lord. And the Lord gave him what he needed to persevere. Dr. Ed Welch, in his uh, book, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness, says that perseverance is one of God's characteristics that he calls us to emulate. He perseveres with us, and we are very difficult people to deal with. It may sound trite when people tell us to hang in there through our struggles, but God encourages us to persevere. So that we will look more like him. Perseverance is not just making it through life until we die. It's perseverance in faith. Even when life is difficult. And perseverance is tied with hope. That God rewards those who persevere. And is faithful to all his promises. Jesus took the path to Calvary. And calls us to follow in his steps. I put up a sign over my sink in the kitchen. I, I put verses, hymns, and just notes to myself, especially during this time of depression when I need to be thinking God's thoughts. So I had this on a three-by-five card. Die to live. I can tell myself this or give in to doubting his goodness I need to make the most of this trial by cooperating with God. Embrace it, learn from it to be more and more like his son and then he will use it for his glory. Six, we need to adjust our lives to the season that we're in. We're down but not out. This was a season for us and for some people it's not a season like Johnny Erickson Tada. It's a lifetime calling. And what a blessing she is and her books. Her book, um, hmm, what is it? I can't think of it. All of her books are so encouraging. Oh, A Place of Healing. Um, Wonderful book on how to get through uh, any kind of um, trial, physical trial. Um, Sure, we want our dreams to all come true. We dreamed of finishing strong, never retiring. Um, During the Depression, Bob thought he'd never preach or teach again, but here we are. It ended up, it was a a season. Um, So, um, we know the, the verse in Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And Matthew Henry says of that verse, there is an appointed time or season. Um, Oh, every change concerning us with the time and season of it is unalterably fixed and determined by a supreme power, and we must take things as they come, for it is not in our power to change what is appointed for us. We are to enjoy the good of our labor in a humble dependence upon God and his providence neither lifted up with hopes nor cast down with fears but with evenness of mind expecting every event. So we now see the need to set a grace-paced life adjusting our life changes as energy levels diminish sensitive to changes as they take place and we need wisdom to recalibrate our Pace, as runners do, to avoid injury or exhaustion, to ensure a happy and successful finish. The graces of sleep, Bob has mentioned this, exercise, relaxation, a good diet, friendships, reflection, fellowship with God should all be a part of a grace-paced life. So seven, God's gracious gifts are to be humbly received. God created us to live in community and humbly give. Yes, we've done a lot of giving, but now to receive help. I can recognize our dire need for support physically, spiritually, to share our needs with the local body of believers and graciously and humbly receive their expressions of love. Transparency is hard with depression because it's humbling. We want to be strong. Our bodies and our minds have disappointed us. They've humbled us. But that's a good thing, isn't it? James says, God gives grace to the humble. I can admit that I have needs for help. My situation requires that I can't do it on my own. So what if my friends are like Job's comforters? And you will get some of those. Um, I can assure you we did. I can be open to criticism because God knows my heart and his opinion is all that matters. I can ask him to reveal the truth of what's in my heart. I don't have to withdraw, but can allow for assistance from the body knowing it's what God intends. So we've always, um, in ministry, of course, it's a giving lifestyle, but now we're realizing that it's God intends God's intention for the church to be, quote, an interconnected group of people who entrust themselves to each other. That's a quote from Ed Welch's excellent book, Caring for One Another. You, and this is a, another quote from his book. You can speak of your pain and someone responds with compassion and prayer. You can speak of your joys and someone shares them with you. You can even ask for help with sinful struggles and someone prays with you, offers hope and encouragement from Scripture, and sticks with you until sin no longer seems to have the upper hand. There is openness, freedom, friendship, bearing burdens together, and giving and receiving wisdom. No trite responses, and Jesus is throughout it all. This is what humility looks like within the body. It's God's intention. And so we can share our situation with all its mess- messiness and ask for prayer. Bob goes to a biblical counselor. I seek support from godly friends. I take respite time away. Meals are brought in. People get a first-hand glimpse into our suffering and offer comfort We're not alone as the body of Christ comes alongside. We kept a record of all the loving deeds. Probably not all, but many of the loving deeds that came our way. Notes of encouragement and such. And we put them in our kisses from the king file. Oh, Bob, another kiss from the king. They were just serendipitous. Gifts from above. Number eight, I'm a person in process. I need to live with the knowledge that I am a work in process and have constant need for God's grace and forgiveness. God isn't finished with me yet. As Paul said it in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it. He will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What happens on days when I become discouraged and sin and fail? Instead of tormenting myself with these imperfections, I can quickly humble myself before my Father and confess my sin. 1 John 1 9. And he forgives me and accepts me as perfect in Christ. In Sister Elise Fitzpatrick's uh, wonderful book, Because He Loves Me, and that is a life-changing book. I used it in my discipling women classes. She says this, On the days when you feel as though you'll never get it, you'll never please him, you're such a failure, you must remember the lavish gift. His great heart pumped blood through his veins and then out his wounds so that he could bless you. This perfect blood streamed down his body and tumbled through space pooling on the earth beneath his feet. It was trampled on by those who stood below, jeering. It mingled with the dirt he had created, and from it grew your hope. And then on the days when you believe you're finally getting it, finally pleasing him, when you think you can look in satisfaction at your goodness, you'll need to look at that blood even more closely. Take yourself to Calvary and stand there, until all your good works seem to you as they really are vile sludge purified only by his cleansing flow. Number nine, God holds our future in his hands. Do I need to feel insecure and stress out because the future is simply out of our hands or be plagued by worry of the unknown? We all wonder about what is to come especially when your husband's in depression will he always be like this will it get worse what will we do will we live in my brother-in-law's basement (laughs) as he thought what can we do Bob told you what we can do in the last message follow out that wonderful passage in Philippians 4 Four to nine. Very important passage of scripture. I don't have to go to sleep wondering what the next day will bring or wake up trying to figure out all the what ifs I can think of. No, I can rest and experience peace in the face of the unknown. Why? My rest is in the person who holds my husband and my individual future in his wise and gracious hands. I have peace because I know that he will complete the good things he's begun in our lives. He's faithful. He never leaves the work of his hands. He's gracious. So he gives us what we need, not what we deserve. He's wise. So what he does is always best. He is sovereign. So he rules all the situations we encounter. He is powerful, so he can do what he pleases, when he pleases. He knows, he loves me, and if he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, for the likes of us, won't he also give us all we need when we need it? Nothing will ever be able to separate us from his love in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can keep my eyes fixed on the goal of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus as Paul did in the midst of his trials that great hymn writer William Cowper whose life was full of personal anguish you probably know his story his um, pastor was John Newton the author of Amazing Grace went through deep depression for many years wrote this wonderful poem For the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. He also wrote the wonderful hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, which I love. He lived in 1731 to 1800. This is his poem, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding, ev- unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. We can be assured that one day our sorrows will come to an end and that heaven awaits those who are in Christ. We always have hope, no matter how dark our valley that God has called us to go through. And then the verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. We do not lose heart, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comprehension while we look not at the things which are seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal oh dear ones may we remember these words and let them encourage our hearts in this life he has given us to live for his glory let's close our time in prayer Lord we thank you that you are all love you demonstrated that on the cross and we can never doubt that love no matter what we go through thank you that you are all powerful all wise and uh, you're working all things together for our good and your glory I pray for these dear people that as they go through their own journey that um You will uh, encourage them with these truths but also use them to encourage many others as well. And we will give you the praise for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.